This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by our vision group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Eddie Short, who is the former chief data officer for Virgin Media O2. So, Eddie, thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No, the the pleasure is all ours. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, So, where we always start, Eddie, as you know, is uh, by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and, and journey to date up until this point if uh, if you'd be so kind yeah no that's that's fine uh, scarily enough it's kind of thinking okay, i've been working for nearly 33 years and um, so i i started life as a chemical engineer uh, and through a graduate training program i ended up from chemical engineering into it and i did um, uh, probably 10 12 years in it consulting including working in the first web web 1.0 in the first dot com <laughs> Um, but my journey in data really started properly in, at the end of 2002 when I was a director at Camp Gemini, and they asked me if uh, if I'd be interested in trying to work out what we should do about data. Um, and over the next uh, six or so years, I built a team that was started for six people and ended up turning over about half a million pounds into a uh, 50 million pounds business in the UK with um, uh, 250 people in the UK, 500 people in India. But I also became the global leader of um, data and analytics, or as we called it at the time, business information management for Capgemini. And that was like three and a half thousand people, 350 million euros. So it's kind of like uh, uh, from naught to 350 million euros in, in six years. So that was a that was a really uh, big thing. But largely, um, do we served IT as Capgemini? And I thought really data and information is all about the business. And so um, I was approached in 2008 to be what would now be called Chief Data Officer of British American Tobacco. I've never spoken in my life, but it was a kind of an interesting FMCG company wanting to really operate as a global business and actually build, I'd say, the data and analytics to operate a global business. And so I had three years there basically helping them to transform, I would say, from a multinational business to a global business, working with the executives of marketing, supply chain operations, finance, the group COO, and ultimately the CEO of the business. So that was kind of a real... Uh, transformative experience and made me feel as though you know kind of data needs to be at the heart of the business once you've done a three-year transformation it's kind of what do you do next and so i actually went back into consulting and did four years at kpmg where i was lead partner for data and analytics for kpmg europe and emea and uh, also helped build a thing called kpmg capital which was basically an investment fund that we set up around investing in data and digital start to actually build and monetize our own data and i built three or four uh, interesting solutions for KPMG, which turned into quite profitable businesses. I also built uh, what we call the 
KPMG Insight Labs, which now called the Lighthouse at KPMG, which was actually interactive centers where you could bring uh, labs of, of data scientists, data from clients, and really, you know, you'd say, visualize your data in real time to work, work problems in a really accelerated way. And having done that, it's kind of, you said, there's a theme going here. Actually, after four years, I became um, Chief Data Officer for Aon Hewitt, completely, which was a part of the uh, Aon business, but 50,000 people, $5 billion business that uh, basically focused on people. And I was had a dual role there, both Chief Data Officer and also effectively a senior consulting partner to build their people analytics business. So we're largely finance people at KPMG and actually work with HR and operations at Aon, which is kind of interesting thing because really why I've worked out in all these things is really my philosophy here is around, say, analytics empowering people, not just algorithms that replace people. And that was kind of a, a really seminal time for me in terms of looking at people. How do you use data to really improve the performance of people? And having done Aon sold a large part of that business to Blackstone back in at the end of 2017. And it kind of left me thinking, what do I do next? And I actually set up my own business. And as part of doing my own business, I was approached to do the data strategy for Telefonica in the UK. And, uh, you know, again, another seminal moment, I think, from the history of this, the CEO, uh, Mark Evans, said to me after three months in, he said, this is a great strategy, Eddie, but I've seen similar ones from five of your predecessors in the seven years I've been here as a uh, CFO and then CEO, what's what's the difference between you and them? And I said, well, Mark, I can't comment on the uh, predecessors, but all I can say is my track record. I've done it before and I believe we can do it again. And they said to me, well, would you be interested in doing it again? But you know, it means going from being a consultant to joining the business. And so I joined the business in 2018. And yeah, that's basically delivering basically a transformation for Telefonica in terms of fixing its data, which sounds fairly basic. But an end-to-end, next best action, next best experience, omni-channel platform to transforming marketing and supply chain uh, of the entire business, and actually starting to build more data-driven products as I built um, for KPMG before. So a year ago, we went through a merger to form Virgin Media O2, and I think you know, in terms of politely at Virgin Media, there were probably five people doing my job. That was probably never going to really work in in the in the future. So I uh, spent nine months trying to integrate the businesses, and then um, so at the end of April, I uh, I stepped away. So here I am, and I'm looking forward to my next challenge, and uh, looking forward to talking to you. Yeah. No. Well, uh, I'm sure Eddie, through all of that, you know, that took you five minutes to to wrap up your 33 year career. So I'm sure you're you're massively underselling yourself there. But um, we can. I'm sure. We'll, I'm sure we'll dig into a, a lot of the kind of learnings through throughout that. Now, obviously, on the podcast, when we have people that you know are in a role currently, we get them to talk about what that role was. But um, I guess someone of your stature, Eddie, what I'm really kind of keen to to know is if you had to pick one what's been the kind of proudest achievement to date throughout that kind of illustrious 33 year career if you had to kind of put your hat on on kind of one experience that was kind of really shaped well, the world of data something that really shaped my experiences back in 2003 when uh, a, a, a interesting recruitment consultant was probably trying to butter me up at the time but messi said to me he said eddie you seem to be pretty good at data but you seem to be even better at uh, at the people side of it you know um and what I'm really proud of, Kyle, is not just one thing, but it's the teams that I built at Capgemini, BAT, KPMG, Aon, and then Telefonica, which basically I'd say were my legacy. Uh, and uh, in many cases, they're continuing to deliver the journey that I uh, I put together with them and actually continuing to deliver and add value to the business that uh, 
that we put together. So not necessarily one thing, but actually building that kind of integrated capability five times now and kind of in a, in a transformative way. That's, that's for me, is my, my real pride of my achievement. Yeah, no, well, uh, I'm sure we'll jump into this, right? And it'll probably be a, a trending theme throughout the conversation. But I think the the transformation and, and the, the role that having the right teams and the people in the business to kind of get through those um, journeys are often the difference between success and failure. And I think just building on that, I mean, I think, um, I put politely, <laughs> when, when, we, uh, when we merged Virgin Media and uh, what was the, you'd say, Telefonica, but it became Virgin Media too. One of those little flippant comments from one of my colleagues from Virgin was sort of saying, well, how much are you paying your data scientists? And I said, well, our uh, kind of um, OTE in, for a data scientist is about 70K. And, and they kind of looked at me quizzically and almost laughed. And they said, well, ours are, we're paying ours over 100 grand. And, and it took them six months to work out that probably uh, the team that I'd built might have been delivering at least the same, if not more. Uh, because money is not always the always the answer. It's actually the team and the capability and the focus that you you've got in terms of delivering value, which really makes a big difference. I think that's a yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes perfect uh, perfect sense. So I think, look, you know, your your journey and when we first started speaking, um, you know, what what was really obvious to me was that you know you you'd been there. You'd done that. You'd got the T-shirt. You'd been on these big transformational journeys with some really big, you know, brands and, and named companies, and managed to come out of the other side, having you know achieved an awful lot. So, kind of really want to delve into kind of why is it that you get some companies that succeed using data as their kind of primary source of competitive advantage, and then you get others that are trying but just don't. I think um, it probably varies by in terms of by industry, but probably I'll use a business to consumer analogy, and it kind of like, uh, but it, and it applies certainly differently, I think, in business to business. But you know, business to consumer, you see a lot of strategies which talk about you know serving our customers, uh, you know how, how we're a customer-led business. We want to basically um, meet the needs of our customers, and I think if you look at marketing uh, and then you look at data, you realize that serving your customers is not enough, basically. Um, the companies that are really successful are those that anticipate customers' unmet needs. And in the past, mm-hmm. that was really by the inspiration, you'd say, of, of their uh, and perspiration of their leaders, you know, coming up with some really innovative ideas. And the problem is that uh, uh, you can do that once. You might even do it twice, but to continue to do that is, is nearly impossible. And the companies that have become more sustainable in that sense are the ones that really work out that it's really about not servicing your customers needs yeah you, you just got to do that but actually it's, it's anticipating your customers unmet needs and actually convincing them that that is actually the needs that you need to be fulfilled and the way you can sustainably do that is by with data about customers and uh, data about the data about the market and data about the competition and building really smart algorithms that allow you to predict um what people are could could want or should want that they currently are not doing and i think it's basically that's um that's when customer companies realize, you know, to be you know, uh, on top of customers, you really need to be on top of the data about customers. And then, th- then the other side of it is really, you know, when you look at the story of data and technology, you realize that it kind of goes back to, you know, databases and data warehouses now called data lakes or data lake houses. <laughs> and typically uh, the way they're implemented in most organizations is that data is the exhaust of enterprise systems so you basically get the data from your saps your oracles your um 
if if you're in, in ERP world from from your work days, the success factors, if you use your people data from um, your net crackers and others, if you're a telecoms company, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and your finance company, it's, it's kind of the output. And what, what, what we find and what I found over 20 years is when you have loads and loads of techies then effectively putting that data back together, like Humpty Dumpty back together again, and by that tell, to tell you what has actually happened. And they're spending inordinate amounts of time structuring it to tell you what has actually happened. And actually, the only way you can really make it, I would say, predictive by design is realizing it's almost like IT 101. You actually have input, process, output. The input is data. The output is data. You get the feedback loop using models, and suddenly the data is suddenly driving the process as opposed to the process exhausting data. And I think those are, for me, really fundamental things. You say that you, you've got to realize to be you've got to be data driven but you have to have a purpose for doing why you need to be data driven typically hopefully that is because you actually want to serve your customers um uh, better than, than than they ever imagined possible so uh, for me it's that customer centricity and actually realizing the data can't just be an exhaust it needs to be the driver of your business mm, yeah it's a really interesting concept because we hear over and over and time and time again right about customer centricity and put your customer at the heart of the business and everything you do is for the customer and everything will take care of itself so it's really interesting to hear you say that's kind of just almost needs to be a prerequisite right? yeah. there needs to be more that that needs to be thought about uh, obviously you gave a couple of examples there around you know the back-end systems and infrastructure of how you make that work but i guess to go a little bit deeper on that then you know if a business is then you know the prerequisite is the customer and putting the customer's needs first how do you physically go about thinking about how do you understand their unmet needs how do you how do you piece all of that together because i think the reason i asked that question eddie is you know it's evidently um more complex than the theory suggests just in the day-to-day right that's obvious by the fact that how few businesses are really succeeding with this so uh, and obviously you've been there and done that which is why i asked you the question but how how do you get to that point of understanding okay let's find out what the customer's needs are we've got to address that that's the prerequisite but how then do you take that to the next step tangibly if that makes sense yeah and for me kyle it's about the combination of people and data and the people being actually your own people um and, and your customer people. but uh, um, And I think UK is one of the worst offenders here. We'll get onto this later, but in terms of digital strategies, but it, it, so many of these transformations are about cost, cost reduction, which actually equals get rid of people. Mm. Uh, and really your people have got a huge amount of data and insight and knowledge about your customers. Uh, and actually it's about servicing, making them creative. What I've seen and what I've been writing about so much recently yeah. We're in the middle, of, in theory, of what you'd say some people call it the fourth industrial revolution. Um, you know, we've got cloud, we've got digital, we've got crypto, we, um, we've got big data, we've got AI. And yet, actually, as an economy, and actually the G7 economies are actually having the slowest productivity growth of ever. And the UK is the worst offender in all that. And actually, in theory, you look at it, we're actually one of the earliest adopters of all this capability. And it's, and it's, it's because, in my opinion, it's because we're... Uh, we're not really marrying the people and the data capabilities effectively together. And I, when I look at it from a technology perspective, I look at it in terms of here we are, uh, I'm working from home uh, at the moment, you know, a lot, lot more people have been since uh, since COVID. Um, 
But you know, offices have almost became the uh, I, I would describe it as the equivalent of the dark satanic mills of the 19th century. There's a presence that people have got to be there, and it's it kind of they're you know, they're not necessarily being productive because actually we've we've given them so many productivity tools, um, the 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 WhatsApps, the Telegrams, the Gmails, the Outlooks, the Splunks, and um, uh, the remedies in terms of uh, and actually we've almost forgotten that actually one of the success factors of companies is actually making sure your people are what's working on what's urgent or important. And when you actually look around it, many of our people are working on the top of their inbox because they're just deluged with the data. And that's the other thing about data. You see, when you actually look at all these problems, typically you have to boil it down from a big data problem to a small data problem because we can't actually absorb and, and, and we as humans can't absorb all that data what we need to be able to do is given the right amount of data so that we can do what humans are really good at, which is be creative. And so I think that's what companies that are really successful are doing. You know, it's kind of, it is harnessing the best of your data and the best creativity of your people to then come together and say, so it's not just that actually you use data and algorithms to eliminate human experience. I think the two together are really what's, what's really, really important in terms of and getting you that one plus one equals five, which improve productivity, improve service, and improve value to customers, which leads to better revenue and better profitability, and actually a better customer experience, but equally a better employee experience. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, it's really fascinating to to kind of hear you say that. Um, how have you gone about building teams then, and giving them that kind of creative freedom and ex, you know time to? express themselves if you want to call it that because I, I guess um you know with all due respect to a lot of the people that are in the trenches building these platforms and lake houses and whatever else we're talking about here algorithms um you know there's probably an argument that those people aren't necessarily the most creative by nature right so um i guess there's something in there to, to try and draw that out and probably create the environment that allows them to to, to do that or at least try and express themselves more yeah, I think we, we we can be quite different. When I go back to my own history, you know, um, and uh, you know, I think I was pretty much diagnosed as being somewhere on the autistic spectrum back in the day, and, and it's kind of, uh, and I, that that experience was twenty years ago was kind of like I as a, as a people person, I would describe myself as the one-eyed man in the land of the blind, you know, because we weren't the most people-centric as engineers and and, and techies and data scientists, and um, but. The fact is, we can be creative, and I think what I found in my thing is is come back to that. I've come back to the people point. Three dimensions of people. Uh, if you've got some really good people in your team, uh, you can actually help them to work more closely with the business stakeholders in their organisation, and they're working on problems that serve their the business stakeholders customers problems you know so you got your people supporting your other people in the business to actually really service the customer then you actually get a trilogy or a triumvirate of, of, of success what i found so often is people working as you said in the in the data world or digital world kind of ivory towers so this is the the really hot thing that we need to be working on we need to be solving this kind of problem well actually is it relevant to your customers um, and actually things that some people might say are quite dull and boring but if it's actually going to delight a customer it's amazing how you can see some of the, you'd say, the most um, deepest techies, their faces light up when they've actually solved something that's actually made a difference uh, in the uh, and um, to an end customer. And it's kind of that's that's my success. It's kind of to triangulate that so you can actually see we are actually business facing uh, and we're actually solving business problems um, rather than just solving quotes technical problems. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, you know, in the line of work that 
that we do we have these conversations on a daily basis right about you know what uh you know the the needs and wants and desires of people and how they've changed over the years and been in organizations where they've you know their work's not been seen or heard or visible and they don't know whether it was good or bad there's no feedback loop you know it's whether it's been impactful or, or not exactly um, i would say exactly i think came up in your previous podcast i think so often data people and technology people it's kind of like the cfos are baffled by us because they reckon they've read enough stuff from a mckinsey and harvard business review that said you need to invest in this stuff but we don't talk about it in terms of value and outcomes if you're dealing with translating it directly into the end customer you're almost building in the business case by design. It becomes, a, you know, and actually, because we are the data people, we should be measuring that output. So actually, you say, well, actually, we can see the delay in the customers, but we can also see from the, the business intelligence that we put in place, the reporting, that that's actually translated into a 5% uplift in terms of revenue. Well, actually, that's a 15% uplift in terms of EBITDA. Uh, because, and we can see that line of sight. It's not because you've done X, Y, Z elsewhere in the business. We can actually translate that. And that's, that's, that's then you, you can that kind of, we, we really delight the customer. And we can see the business outcome. And if you tell those kind of stories, um, people get people get really excited. And, and actually, then CFOs are going to say, "Wow, yeah, this is this is really cool. I could actually see a return in the PL. Wow!" Yeah, you still obviously started to talk there around putting tangible figures on value, and this is something that you know we speak about all the time on this podcast. You hear debated over and over and over again around the difficulties the complexities is it possible is it not how do you do it etc cetera, etc cetera. um you, you obviously there started talking around how you can you know two birds one stone scenario with delight the customer and then still track this and then that makes your people more engaged and, and bought in um i'd love just to get your general thoughts on the concept of kind of translating all of the work that we do as date the data industry um translating that back to business value and how you get to that point to say okay the work that me and my team have done was requited in x you know uplifting revenue or reduction in cost or we've mitigated risk by x percent or whatever the case may be yeah well i think i think it's really important carl because what we've seen in the last few years is you know i don't know what the question is but the answer is i need a few more data scientists (laughs) they are the new philosophers stone they'll get us the answer and I think they're critical, but, you know, it's part of a team. Uh, and I would say privileged to have, when I was at, at Telefonica, I had the, the, you'd say, all the levers of data. I had, actually, the, the insight team, or you could say the, the marketing research team, who actually did all the unstructured data, did all social research, did some work with external agencies and pulled in, you'd say, unstructured data in terms of what we knew about customers. I actually had the kind of, well, they'd say the core data management would be in IT. I actually had the people who had risk accountable for data governance. So we actually had set the data structure, data architecture for the business. But I also had the, what we increasingly call data democratization, but business intelligence team, who are basically pulling together that single version of the truth so, uh, so that people can then create, create their own self-service reports, but everybody's working from the same data. So uh, as well as then, you'd say the uh, customer experience measurement, uh, and then the uh, the data science team and the you'd say advanced analytics and data science people. So what I could say was on one side we're doing things that look as though they're connected to a business process, um, and actually to my point of earlier, we're not just providing the res- exhaust data from that; we're actually providing the data to input to that process to improve it. And then we're working with finance on the actual business case in terms of you know what's that going to deliver in terms of cross sell, upsell, churn reduction, re- improve retention. Oh, by the way, because we're, we're the other part of the team, we're actually measuring that 
uh, as part of our day jobs. Uh, and actually, then we can actually say, well, actually, we're not going to just have, as part of this team, we're not actually just designing this system. We're going to be building the with IT the actual capabilities that deliver the value and measure the value. So basically, hand on heart, I'm going to basically put my hand up and say, this is the business case, which has been signed off by the CFO. And actually, I've got accountability for delivering the results. And we can track it every month or even every week in terms of what the output is. And I think that's what people need to see from us. It's not just because uh, that's the usual cop out is it, it's down to the business. Yeah, it's whether they use the system or they use the data to make the measurement. And actually, it's all, it's all we can do is really deliver the, uh, the platform. If they don't use it properly, then that's it's not our problem. And, and actually, I think that's a, a false statement. And it just says oh, we, don't, we don't deserve to be at the top table in the organization. But if if you're there actually delivering it and measuring it and you're putting your hand on your heart and uh, on it and, and you can actually see the business outcomes through it and then the, the revenue and profitability coming through it as part of what we do, then then you then you see so at the top table and you know basically and people understand why because they don't just talk oh it's, it's that algorithm you created in terms of Google TensorFlow uh, or that deep model. You no, know, we can actually see it's, it's improved EBITDA. And that's what finance care about. And that ultimately, that's what CEOs care about. You know, it's kind of like better customers mm. with better financial results. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a, it's a definitely a fascinating conversation. Um, and I think you're right. You know, we, we, you know, have many conversations, whether it's in the events that we host or in this podcast or just generally out there, LinkedIn, et cetera, where, you know, we always talk about, but there needs to be an action um, as if yeah. it's not our place to help drive towards that action and i think what's what's equally true for us is we're we are in a privileged position if we can take the actions but we're also in that we also get that truly one plus one equals uh, three benefit because when i look at it in particular i look at financial services spend a lot of time in insurance a lot of time with banks and i look at you know how much they spend on technology and how much they spend on data and how much on and it's like well They've been having you know, big initiatives over here, looking at compliance and big initiatives over there with regulators and then separate initiatives over here with a customer data platform. And it's like, you realize, you know, it's like the data you actually need to service your customers is exactly the same data that the regulators need to make, make checks that actually you're serving your customers within the regulations. Um, yeah. uh, and actually, you can actually genuinely kill two birds with one stone in this problem. And one of, I think, one of my little things has been risk and performance they're two sides of the same data, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, uh, and what I've seen is, again, it's been fragmented because we've done things in silos rather than thinking of data as being this kind of thing that helps us join up the business. And people are spending you know, two or three times as much as they should be doing because they're, they're doing it in these individual silos and not thinking holistically. And that's, again, one of the, I think, key success factors of those who are successful. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So obviously, throughout your career, Eddie, and especially with Telefonica, I know you went on a big kind of digital transformation through through that business. Um, you started to talk earlier about you know the whole digital transformation piece and the role that that data plays in that. Obviously, we we hear quite a lot, or I certainly hear quite a lot, this debate within organisations that we speak to or we're working with or whatever, where there's maybe pushback politics within an organization around what fuels what, you know, can you have a digital strategy without a data strategy? What should come first, et cetera, et cetera. As someone that's been there and done that, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, being originally a, a proud Yorkshireman, I kind of like look at calling a spade a spade. I have been one of those people and from time to time he would say refer to things as the emperor's new clothes and 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 digital for me has been a bit like the emperor's new clothes and um, 
it's like, well, in, in 2022, digital is kind of how we do business, isn't it? It's kind of like, frankly, it, people think, all right, yeah, 10 years ago, digital was, yeah, well, 15 years ago, digital was you've got a web trading platform. Then 10 years ago, was that you've got to have basically a mobile trading platform. And now it's like, oh, yeah, they're, they're all how You just need to have an app. And it's like, really? Yeah, but actually, to a point of fuel, the, the fuel of all of this is data. And it's about coming back to your customers, your suppliers, your service. It's, it's, all, it's all data in terms of what you actually need. And, and what I've seen is, um, and we've been through, went through this at Telefonica, omni-channel, you know, most businesses are still omni-channel, even if you say the likes of Amazon who opens open shops, you know, it's kind of like, um, and it's not all just, you can do it all in an app, but what you do need, yeah, an app's part of it, a mobile strategy is part of it, you know, maybe still a retail strategy is part of it, um, but really data is what's really driving it. And I think for me, it's kind of, you can't have a business strategy without actually having a data strategy because it's really at that point about it's, it's going to come down to how we're going to serve our customers and what uh, and how we're going to achieve our mission. And we can't really achieve our mission without data. You know, digital is just for me, a bit like IT in the nicest possible way these days. They, they kind of their time has been and their time is kind of is, is you know, kind of we don't we don't have you know chief facilities officer uh, who sits on the board. It, it's kind of like the, the it's just it's just how we have to do things. You, know, you might bring a tech firm in from time to time, uh, or a digital firm in from time to time. Like you like you want a new building, you bring in Norman Foster's architecture business to kind of redesign your building. You, know, you kind of you might bring Accenture or Capgemini or uh, Bain in to help you re- redesign your systems. But actually, it's kind of like do you need somebody on the board doing that? No, but if I don't think you do. But frankly, uh, likewise, what you do need, and I think. It, is it forever? Maybe not, but it's certainly for the next 15, 20 years. Data is so central to actually meeting your purpose both and meeting, but not just your purpose as a business, but my point of only about risk and performance, it's about meeting regulatory goals, meeting your customer goals. It has to be uh, you know, how we're going to meet our business strategy is underpinned by a data strategy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so as someone then that's been sat at that level, you know, had a seat at the table, having these discussions with the CEO of these massive businesses. Um, why? Why do you think that? I guess the industry is is at in the place that we're at, where we're still talking about. You know, does this business want to be data driven, or you know, are they paying lip service to it, or is there even appetite there, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Why, why do you think that's happening when you know, for for us? On the inside of the industry, looking out, it seems abundantly obvious that this is just the way the world is is going. But yet, for whatever reason, and I'm keen to get your thoughts as to why, you know, evidently there's a lot of business leaders out there that are still a bit skeptical about this, right? Yeah, well, I think we are a we are a risk averse country. I think, um, uh, and um, we uh, as, as I've been around for my 33 years of work, you know, and I went through internet one point, internet stroke web one, and uh, other things. You see, we there are things that we've seen, like you know, digital. As I touched on earlier, was a pretty obvious thing in the late 90s and early 2000s. But it took a long time for for organisations to really think it was absolutely central to their purpose. Because, and I think the Mark Evans quote that I gave you from earlier, Telefonica. You know, I've seen five of these in seven years. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of people who can sell sell the sell the dream, um, 
very few people who are prepared to basically roll their sleeves up and then actually uh, do the hard yards. You know, it's kind of we 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 sadly it's a, it's, a, it's a general disease that we we suffer. You know, we we want to buy the big vision, and that could be a political vision, an economic vision, or a company vision. But we don't realize it's kind of it's going to be a long long journey. And I think Bill Gates' quote from twenty odd years ago is um, I think it might be twenty five years ago was kind of like we massively over uh, over um, set the over exceed what what technology can do for us in the next two years and dramatically underestimate what it's going to do for us in the ten years. So people just you know, people want you know they want fast first fast turnaround. We've got quarterly results performances. We've got annual results. You know CFOs CEOs. They need to see results speedily. They don't. They don't want to just get another an, another vision that's not going to get delivered. And I think that's that's what we as an industry and what we have people to do. We, we talked about earlier. You've got to make friends with the CFO. You've got to prove that value. And I think when I looked at Telefonica, you know, go back to the strategy I did there uh, on year, year one. Basically, they said, "How much is it all going to cost?" And I said, "Well, give me five million pounds." And they said, "Well." Um, Five million pounds isn't going to do the job, is it? Uh, and I said, no, it's not. But five million pounds is a relatively very modest investment for you guys. And I will hope to prove in the next six months what I said out earlier that I will deliver you real value, and then I'll come back to you and ask for some more. And I did, you know, improve, do do some of the basics right, improve churn, improve retention with algorithms, and models, fix some of the data quality issues which were causing us grief with the Information Commissioner and Ofcom. And then six months later, I asked for 50 million quid and they said, where do we sign? Because they already started to see the real benefits because they, they could actually talk to it in, the, in this year's results. So that's, that's I think, the, that's, a, that's what we've got to do. That we've got to do. We have got to do the quick wins. It's, it's a, it sounds like consulting BS, but we have to deliver the quick wins now but, and actually show them people, they are the possible, where can we get to in three years' time, but actually deliver some real value today and then they'll actually come with you on the journey. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we started talking earlier around the role of IT, and we've briefly kind of started to creep into the CDO role and where that sits. Right, I think one thing that I definitely see, uh, and this may just be more an educational piece across you know the wider business landscape, but for sure data and analytics in my opinion for most organizations and the people within it that aren't savvy in this area still automatically assume and kind of categorize data analytics as it you know that's that's abundantly obvious in the work that that we do um why do you think that is when you know there's so much conversation in our industry now around business facing you know taking it back to the business business value why do you still think we're kind of grouped in with kind of technology because it's what people can touch, you know. It's like, um, you know, I'm I'm um, I'm investing in uh, AWS or Google Cloud. I'm, I'm going to get this. Uh, I'm going to get this uh, Redshift from Amazon. I'm going to get this kind of uh, um, Vertex AI platform from Google. You know, it's tangible things, uh, and, and those are the things that IT does deliver. You know, the, the actual platforms. Um, uh, but for me, you know, data is 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 business, uh, and it's it's then it's really yeah right. We we we've, we've got the we've got the base components. Now, what we're going to do with it? And to that point, the CDO is not just somebody who can do data governance and master data management and build a catalog. It's somebody who can use data uh, and combine the technology that IT infrastructure provided. With with your chief marketing officer, your head of su- supply chain, 
your um, your finance team and actually then created created some real business value and i look at it in terms of three things that we will be doing we will be literally um supporting our uh, business stakeholders in terms of reporting the business and uh, we mustn't underestimate business intelligence as an important thing because it's actually how a business is running we will be helping them uh, then to actually create new products and services that are actually going to improve the revenue of this business and ultimately if we've got a lot of data we're going to create actually revenue streams in our own right which are not just quotes selling our data but creating new products which can only be delivered with that data. And there's three dimensions of actually helping the cost and actually reducing the risk of the business, drive the existing business revenue and create new revenue. That's why the CDO role, the future CDO role is the right next role to be you know, on the executive committee and, and politely the chief digital officer and the CIO's roles in the nicest possible way their time on the executive committee has been and gone um, because you can't have everybody on the executive committee. Uh, but the reality is, as you know, Carla, the, the number of people who can do that job that I've just talked about are few and far between. And if it's not understood by the, if, if finance basically said, right, uh, and the CEO, say, well, I've read in HBR and I've read in um, um, you know, the analyst briefing, we've got to have this stuff, right? We, we're going to get this cloud stuff. Well, we give that to IT. That's where it belongs, clearly. So, so that's, that's the kind of, it's the easy, low risk option for them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, um there's certainly in my eyes certainly a part of this where i think you know we we've kind of created our th- this environment for ourselves you know because a lot of the time you know you've had organizations go out there and they are they looking for a, a cdo in quotation marks but really they want the thing that you've just described right a data management professional who can build a catalog because that's just the the next step along from the technology piece where the platform has been built Right. And then so then you have a lot of these people that have the title, but probably aren't the right people to be talking about those bigger, higher level conversations around how you get the business from where it is now to where it wants to go quite strategically. And, you know, how does data fuel that journey, which is, is in my opinion, why we're, we're in this kind of revolving door situation that, that we're that we're quite possibly quite possibly in. Um where where does the CDO report to then to, to truly get this right in your opinion? Well, Obviously, think, you talked about the exco there, so I presume that's what you what you're going to say. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's it's kind of there there are a handful today, but no, yeah, it literally. Is. But I think for organisations that want to be um, uh, who want to be delivering competitive advantage and and growing in the yeah, late 2020s mid to late 2020s if if you're a business consumer organization as a starting point and you haven't got a cd on the executive committee i would suggest your your days are numbered um uh if you know by 2020 by maybe by 2035 something like that actually again our time will have been and gone because data will be just so entrenched in everything that we do i think b2b organizations it's 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 uh, and even and finance organization i look at actually i mean banks are, for me are the biggest ones it's like I look at it, you know, you look at uh, some of the some of the organizations that you deal with. I've dealt with, I, I've been approached by many for many organizations. Be, be a CDO in, in the bank, and it actually find you one of a hundred. And it's like <laughs> this is this is a joke. Um, yeah. What is a bank? What is money? It's data. You know, so it's kind of like thinking. You know, the the entire purpose of it is to basically manage and solicit data. So they haven't really appreciated that connection between 
Um, you know, you can't have a hundred of these people. You can have a hundred people who are doing data, but you can't have a hundred chief data officers. It's kind of insane. You don't. Have, but um, that's uh, and so yeah. For me, as I said earlier, ultimately for the majority of organisations, I think it's so central to meeting your business, your purpose, but also supporting and meeting your regulatory goals, your compliance goals, your ESG goals. That data has got to be part of your business strategy, and therefore data should be reporting to the CEO as an Indian executive committee position. And be, as I said earlier, you know, it supports the business, it enables revenue growth, and ultimately creates its own revenue stream. And it's that three dimensions which makes it a unique position um, in transforming the future success of your business over the next 5, 10, 15 years. It means it's got to be at this, uh, a CEO report. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess next question, and obviously there, there are you know very few people that have the cdo title that are actually at that level right that sit yeah. on a board report directly to a, a ceo um especially at the size and scale that that you're talking about here um you do get a lot of chief data officers that then sit theoretically one level below the board level but report into another you know another c suite executive which i've never quite understood to be honest with you, but why why do you think that happens? Because evidently, there's all. It seems to me that there's a thought process there from the business and its leaders that data is important, but maybe not quite important enough to have a seat at the table, <laughs> right? So why, why do you think that kind of occurs? Well, I think again, it's come back to that point about people. You know, it, it's like um, your face needs to fit to be on the executive committee. It's not yeah, because as an executive committee, as, a, as they would say. A, a, I think the legal term is a, as you see in company reports, person disposing management responsibilities. You have to, you have to be able to uh, engage the rest of the executive committee in terms of uh, what their issues are, what the goals of the business are. And, and in theory, data, we should be able to do that, but you've got to be able to engage them as a peer. Um, and that's why I come back to my point about you can't just be doing it if you're doing data management and data governance. You've got to have a purpose that involves creating revenue for the business as well as reducing cost and re- reducing risk for the business. It gives you a unique uh, uh, perspective. Um, uh, and candidly, right now, we're still a very immature bunch as uh, chief data officers or data, di- directors of data. Or di- yeah, It's an eclectic mix of people um, that are doing it. And, and you'd say some people have been fast-tracked because they're the top data scientists, but you know, in the nicest possible way, and um, that doesn't mean that they can engage the board in a decent conversation and um, and and engage shareholders. They might be able to talk about some exciting stuff they're doing, but you know, it's it's so it is that kind of people maturity um, which we have to we have to take on board, and we we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and just say, it's not um, why should we be on there, but what have we done? Which means that the the CEO and the chairman chairman of the board of directors means that why haven't you got that person on because because they've done this and this and they already it's um so and, I, and it, candidly mo- many of us today don't deserve to be there because we haven't done enough we haven't made the impact we haven't delivered the results we haven't and and, and so uh, yeah we've got we've got to earn our place not just mm-hmm. expect it because because it's important yeah it's, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, that's a, a very, very good point. Then, so I guess before we move on from this point, um, there's you know, honestly, 
uh, if I had a pound for every data leader, you know, head of data, head of data analytics, director of data, whatever the case may be, if I had a pound for every time that type of person said to me, I'm looking for my next role and I, and I want a CDO role, um, I probably wouldn't need to be here <laughs> right, right now, right? So um, I'd love just to get kind of your advice around what those people in those positions need to be focusing on to truly get to the point where they can be considered for, you know, those true genuine CDO roles where they're, you know, they have a seat at the table, they're reporting to the business leader um, and, you know, I, I guess a seen as that true peer. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I'll give you a, a, a candid and honest story from my history. Back in 2006, I became a member of the executive committee of Capgemini UK. Um, and my boss was the CEO, Nigel Kirby Green, great guy. Um, and uh, yeah, he put me on that because um, I, I was one of the, you'd say, vice presidents with the fastest growing business in Cap. But it's like, um, and six months in, he sat me down and he said, yeah, Eddie, I think you're great. You're doing really great. But your peers on my executive team find you to be an annoying git. <laughs> and uh, and, um, uh, and <laughs> really, <laughs> an annoying git? <laughs> Is that all? Um, but um, I think it, you, I had no real appreciation as to you know, why my peers were there, you know, why my colleagues were, were there. You know, I, I thought, yeah, I've done this. I've done this. It was all about me. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing this. I'm, I've got the fastest growing part of the business, blah, 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 I, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's kind of, I think, you know, that's, that's the challenge for many of these people. It's like, oh, I've ha- you happen to have looked into the right place at the right time. You, you're, you're, data's booming. You're... Um, your team's growing. Uh, you can't get enough of them. And actually, the, the biggest challenge is actually yeah, recruitment because uh, the people you've got are really good. They they suddenly get twenty k more going somewhere else, and actually you've got. But you forget, you you forget what 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 made you uh, to be that head of person is because you built something, you delivered something, and actually to to be the, the chief of something, it's not just uh, what do what does what does me 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 do. It's what what. What, what, what's the rest of the organization does and what, what does my, my, my team and my value bring to that or my organization and how can I help my colleagues to be successful um, and help this business to be successful because it's not just about me uh, and I think that's uh, you know we have uh, we see that so often and uh, data is you say it's a hot topic it was a hot topic a few years ago it's a very hot topic now it's kind of like uh, I, 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 because I'm in a cool area, we generate. Not that I need to be chief, but actually, you've just got you've got to earn your spurs. You can say it's, it's that point about have you earned the right to be there? You know what value have you really delivered? But equally, what's the value you're bringing to your colleagues? Because I think it, whichever thing you're part of, you're 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 then part of the chief executive's team. You're part of the you know, manager and director of you know, where we say that divisions team. Uh, what do you bring to that team, which means that you've really earned, earned the spurs to be um, a, a chief? Yep. It's a really good point, actually, and probably not one that I've thought about all that much because I guess, you know, when an individual comes to us and they're, you know, they are looking for their next opportunity or they're keeping their, their eyes and ears open, um, often it is all about them right because that's just the way they perceive it to be which is a really interesting kind of way to to think about it is uh you know the 
doing right by your people will help you to be more successful, more value. Yeah, get your stripes to be there. Makes makes sense. Okay, cool. So I guess moving on and just conscious of of time, Eddie. But um, I guess you know there's always talk in the press and the media around Amazon and how great they are and all of that type of stuff. And I think the reality, as we both know, is that many businesses are a million million miles away from ever being at that level for a variety of reasons. But how do more you know ordinary in quotation marks businesses? start to try and compete with or get on some kind of similar level in some aspects to the likes of your Amazons of the world? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's pivotal that everybody uh, understands the Amazon story, Kyle, I think. Um, and um, um, if you read any of the uh, business literature, um, effectively jeff bezos created the current model of amazon from about 2001 and it was a marketing strategy uh, and he basically uh if you want to read a good business book good to great it's now i think 30 years old but it basically yeah. good to great tells you about uh, how you need to have a, a flywheel for your business basically it takes a long time to spin it up but actually once you've got a, a flywheel around your business pulling pulling everything together it will keep going and be really successful. What and what uh, what Bezos realized was actually, I can make my flywheel go faster than anybody else's because if I've got data and what I know about my customers, and uh, and uh, I can then provide them those insights and things and, and, and offers which basically they hadn't even thought about. I can you know, um, and so he has that flight. But equally, it's not just or oh, what what can I offer my customers on my web on Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk or on or on your app. It's actually oh I can take that data and then I can spin it up to my logistics and my supply chain, which is going to be uh, which means that I can actually get the fulfillment. Um, and because I actually know so much about that customers, actually, I, I start to realize oh they don't just want books and they don't just want groceries and they want all these other things. And actually, because I've got all this efficient logistics business, I can actually start to service all those extra products and services. Now, um, I think. Data wasn't everything in Amazon because, yeah, frankly, I think the, the, the other major success story for Amazon was Amazon Web Services, um, created by the current CEO of Amazon, um, and actually that became the massive cash cow, um, uh, which allowed them to continue to invest. Well, I would say continue to invest, but actually it wasn't until five or six years ago that Amazon sustainably delivered profit. You know, which is much longer than any other dot com or startup business had gone for, but. It's still you know, the, the driving force has been that kind of we need to spin up the flywheel, which means that we can actually just get the you say the data suddenly stops being the exhaust. It actually drives our customers and it actually drives our supply chain and our business. And so that I think is uh, you, know, you say it comes back to that point about earlier. It's central to your strategy. It's central to um, uh, how you're going to make your business work. And that's I think what 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 companies need need to do. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean there. Uh their supply chain and logistics is just another level right it's unbelievable and I, I think i mean amazon amazon does have its dark side and i think that you see the kind of people making the, the amazon drivers trying to get class actions against because amazon have gone to that point where actually the algorithm is is key you know and actually as i've i've written now the humans increasing in amazon are the robots because actually the algorithms are actually doing the and I think that means that they're, they're not perfect because I, I personally believe that it could be more creativity coming from the humans and actually there's more human um, type work. So they're not, they're not foolproof, but they are still, I'd say, you know, 
far ahead of the majority of organisations in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I guess <clears throat> as we start to try and wrap this up, then Eddie, what I'm keen to try and understand, you know, we hear um, a lot of buzzwords or phrases, you know, data driven, data enabled, all of that type of stuff banded around quite freely. Um, what constitutes being a data driven business in your eyes? Well, I think, I mean, it's a great quote from a, a colleague of mine uh, at uh, Telephonic, Neil, Neil McCourt. Um, and he came to us from Amazon and he said to me, uh, and probably three months in, he said, you're doing a great job with this data-driven uh, business and the, the transformation you're doing. He said, the problem with O2 was that um, opinions really matter. He said, uh, Amazon opinions got you fired unless they were, <laughs> unless they were backed by data. And, and I think for me it is, yeah, what constitutes a data-driven business is, is that uh, people instinctively trust the data and actually it's not computer says no it's computer says yes uh, and that uh, from then if, if if actually the data tells us something we don't really like at all it's that oh shit uh, we can't just avoid it we actually have to change our way of thinking it doesn't mean we're slavish to it because as i said it's human experience and human but it's got to be built on top of what does the data tell us about our customers and our business performance we can't just be have that instinctive intuitive leaps and um, and if every yeah. every leader in the business operates that way, uh, then that's a data-driven business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all heard plenty of horror stories, haven't we, where, you know, there's these data and analytics teams out there in organisations that are, you know, doing great work. And, and I think the truth of the matter, unfortunately, is, is that often, you know, that work's being done in a hope that the data validates the decisions that have been made rather than drives the decisions that are going to be made. Yeah. Um, which is which is really interesting. Um, the other thing that I know you're quite big on, Eddie, and I wanted to touch upon before we depart today is kind of the whole concept of data as an asset. Um, and that's something that seems to be kind of rearing its head in the in the industry again at the moment, a lot of conversation around that. And that's probably quite natural given where we're going, you know, as, as an industry and some of the perceived, I guess, failure around, you know, the lack of return and value created off, off this stuff. But how do you how do you then get data to be recognized by a business as an asset? And is that much different to kind of the stuff we've we've discussed? Well, I think it's kind of yeah, on one level, you know. We've, we've, we've tried for some time around this and at the moment still the international accounting standards bodies don't allow you to um, call, put data on your balance sheet which clearly is a problem for um, CFOs in terms of valuing as an asset I think it's it's kind of um, an honest assessment you know, of your business in terms of really how how closely is data linked to the processes that actually drive value in your organization uh, if i look at uh, the business i was in telephonica they they were one of the early things of data monetization and had telephonica digital insights in 2011 2012 10 years later uh, it's a nice little business um, selling data about what, what we know about people from what they uh, use on their mobile phones but it's still it does about between two and three percent of the revenues of telephonica you know it's kind of scratching the surface and for me in the most people people talk about data products uh, in for most businesses i don't think you particularly sell data what you actually do is create products and services that can only be um, delivered uh, because of the data that we have so it's it's an augmentation again it's an, some some sort of existing tangible product or service or new tech but is empowered and supercharged by data and then 
part of that, if you create a physical asset that you uh, on the back of that, and then you can recognize as part of it, then data is an inextricably linked part and it, it, it's a percentage of it. Otherwise, you've got to look at attributing in terms of what do we know about our customers and it's kind of then, uh, and uh, what do we know about uh, our costs and and and. But I think you can, as a CDO, if you can work with finance in terms of business cases that are delivered in your organization, then you can recognize that data is an asset. Uh, and and uh, it might not be just quotes, our data is worth X, but you can probably, you can start to talk about it being worth a certain percentage of the valuation of the business. It's mm-hmm. like saying that they have companies 10 years ago put the brand as part of their you know, asset valuation or their reputation as part of their asset valuation. You, know, you start to then pump up, really, this is what's driving our um, the valuation of our business and once analysts are talking about well are these this company is using data to actually and, and, and as a consequence we're revaluing its um, uh, its rating then suddenly data is ultimately then becomes a, a true asset in the in the sense of yeah yeah no makes uh makes perfect sense well look eddie it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um really enjoyed kind of chatting through this with you i guess obviously if there's anyone out there that wants to reach out anything you know they'd love to pick you brains around anyone out there that now wants to hire you um again um how's the best way for them to to kind of reach out to you you can reach out to me through linkedin um or you can reach out to me on email where i'm eddie short at outlook.com um, i have my own um, business which i'm running again transformation insight but yeah linkedin is as good a place as anywhere to start reaching out to me and uh You'll also get the benefit of uh, connecting to my uh, newsletter, which uh, where I'm talking about a lot of things we talked about today. Because I'm um, in parallel to doing all of that thing, I decided to codify what I've been doing the last 20 years of doing a doctorate of business uh, administration. So that uh, it's kind of codifying my professional practice over the next two or three years. And um, hopefully there'll be a body of knowledge that people can refer to. So. Please, please reach out and what does the what does the future hold for you then eddie you're on the market are you or are you taking a bit of time what's what's going on no, in your no, world i uh for me it's what well, future holds for me is uh, helping companies to to be that data-driven business um, so yeah i'm quite happy to follow the say the telephonica approach of go and help somebody with their strategy um or and then you say they liked it so much they asked me to basically implement it for them yeah. Likewise, uh, I think working with private equity in terms of portfolio businesses, in terms of yeah, because um, I just I just love helping companies get better and uh, better business performance through data. So that's definitely my future for the next few years. Yeah, um, perfect, perfect. Well, Eddie, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much for taking your time to speak with us, and um, yeah, looking forward to seeing um, what the next uh, few years has in store for you. Uh, thanks, Carl, and good luck with the. Uh, ambition because you're doing pretty well as well with, uh, in terms of recruiting and, and growing people for this industry so thank you that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then please follow ambition group on social media if you've not already done so where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive and please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.